In middle school, I was always the average kid. Not too popular, not, not so popular, just average. The average student, the average athlete, the average musician, the average daughter. And that carried with me from middle school into high school. I was just always average. Where did I place in my class list? Right in the middle, average. And as I got older, I realized I'm not just the average kid. I'm a daughter of God. And I belong in his kingdom and I belong in his community. And I found community here at Grace Chapel. And I've been here for many, many years. And I've made a lot of really good friends and a lot of really great, deep, rich community. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm not average. I'm a daughter of the king. Well, can we clap for that? That's just a powerful testimony. Thank you, Angela. It's a great reminder of who we really are. We are inseparably uh, connected to God and his love. That makes us who we really are. Oh, it is great to be with all of you, whether you're watching online or at one of our campuses or right here in Lexington. I hope you and your families have been having a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. And as we begin, I would like to start by offering a little confession to you. Sometimes taking time to list off all the things that I'm grateful for during a day like Thanksgiving can feel a little unnatural to me and a little forced. And that starts to make me feel kind of guilty that I'm not more continually grateful. But what comes very naturally to me and often very unforced is making a list of the things that I'm disappointed with or upset about or frustrated over. Anyone here kind of like me, it's a lot easier for you to make a frustration list than a gratitude list. It's a few honest folks out here, I like it. <laughs> well, recently I read a statement that shed a lot of light onto why this might be true of me and true of you. It's from a great Christian thinker named Richard Rohr, and he says this, that every unrealistic expectation is a resentment waiting to happen. Take a moment just to let that sink in. What might be an unrealistic expectation or two that has been leading you to live with resentment or perhaps even unnecessary frustration? If you find yourself maybe frustrated with work or your career path, is it possible that you have been holding yourself or living with an unreasonably high expectation? Or maybe you've been growing increasingly impatient with a person in your life. Is it possible that you are holding them to an unattainably high standard for what they should be offering you? Or maybe you've been growing resentful toward yourself. Might you be holding yourself to an unimaginably high standard of performance or appearance or perfection? Or maybe you've been growing increasingly impatient with the church. You thought people who proclaim belief in Jesus would be a lot kinder or nicer, or they might vote more like you think they should. Or maybe uh, you thought you would find friends a lot easier uh, at a community like this, or it would be uh, easier to belong. Maybe you're here listening, and this is your last chance that you are giving church. Well, if you've ever found yourself disappointed with Christian community, 
I'm wondering if we might need to just adjust our expectations a little bit. After all, Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, those who've got it all together, but sinners, people with hurts and hang-ups and bad habits and imperfect stories, people just like you and people just like me. And what do sinners have the tendency to do? Sin, right? Some of you were thinking, should I yell out Jesus? But that's not the right answer at this time. <laughs> so sinful people will tend to mess up. They'll be overlooking of you. They might ignore you. They might sometimes even intentionally hurt others. So finding belonging with people like us is invariably going to be messy and hard and difficult. But today, I want to challenge us not to give up on church. Today, I want to challenge us not to give up on building belonging. I want to challenge us not to give up on each other. Because I believe our world is desperate for the kind of community that only the local church can offer, even if it doesn't know it. So today, we're going to finish up our series that we've been going through all fall that has been called True Belonging. We've looked at many of the facets that make the belonging that we are so hungry for genuine or true. It's been a series that's been well-received and appreciated, but we don't want this series merely to have been well-liked. We want it to pave the way for a better future for our community and the church in general. So today, I want us to get a little bit more personal. I want us to see how cultivating community here at Grace is not just the job of the staff or the leaders, but cultivating community is everyone's responsibility. Building belonging is your responsibility. In fact, I believe this, that it is impossible to experience belonging without extending belonging to others. In other words, it's unrealistic for us to expect to experience belonging with others if we are not equally invested in extending that same experience of belonging to those who are in need of it as well. So as we wrap up our series today, I want us to look at five barriers that get in the way of building belonging. And not only that, I want to look at five breakthroughs that we might embrace to help break through those barriers so that we at Grace and we in this world might experience more belonging. Well, to do that, we're going to finish up uh, the letter that Paul has written to this church in Rome. We'll look at Romans 16. It's somewhat of a lengthy, unexpected ending to a letter that has been packed with rich theological truth and challenging personal application. But I invite you, if you brought your Bibles, uh, to turn to Romans 16, or you can follow along on your screens. Now, I'm going to read this most of this chapter. It's kind of a long list of names, so if you start to kind of fade a little bit, stick with me, because it's going to reveal some really important theological truths. And you can test how good of a Christian I am or not by how well I read these names, okay? So let's start with Romans 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet also my dear friend Apennitus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, 
my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ Jesus before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and our dear friend Stachys. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Trephosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogalus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the church of Christ, they send their greetings. Let's take a moment to pause there so that you can turn to a person next to you and say, pucker up and give them a holy kiss this morning. <laughs> I have to give our uh, shout out to our translation team today who is doing an over and above work uh, translating all of these names. But let's jump down here to verse 21. It gets a little easier from here. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cordus send you their greetings. And we'll finish there. Now, just to reiterate a principle of Bible reading that I've shared with you before, if you're ever tasked to have to publicly read a lot of biblical names, the key is to pronounce them with as much confidence and boldness as you can to convince people you actually know how to say these names. Just a little tip for better Bible reading out loud. Now, there's a couple more verses here in Romans, and we'll save those for the very end as we send you off uh, with a benediction at the end of our gatherings today. Let's look now at the five barriers to belonging that, uh, that get in the way of the community that we desire and some of the strategies for breaking through these uh, barriers that this text offers to us. So the first barrier to belonging is inconvenience. Inconvenience. Now, when it comes to building community, I have rarely encountered anyone who signed up to join a team or serve uh, uh, in a group that, who intended not to participate consistently. Yet when opportunities come up or sports schedules start to conflict or the weather gets a little dicey or we just don't really feel like going, we can almost latch on to any excuse that we can find to not show up. Yet community never gets built apart from people intentionally inconveniencing themselves for the greater good of the group. Now, what really fascinates me about this passage, these 27 plus names that Paul lists off, is that Paul has never been to Rome before. So how would he know what all these people were up to and know who they were? Well, we read from other parts of scripture that some of these folks would have worked with Paul and the different missionary travels that he was on. So he knew quite a few of who these people were. But how would he keep up with them to know they all made their way to be in this church at Rome together? There weren't social media feeds that they could check just to see what someone's status update was. So Paul probably would have had 
to go out of his way to inconvenience himself whenever he traveled to a new location to ask about all of these different people. It probably would have led to some dead ends. It probably would have been very frustrating. But Paul loved these folks, and so he was willing to inconvenience himself in any way that he could. And not only was he willing to do that, but all of these people also went out of their way for Paul as well and inconvenienced themselves and even risked their lives for him in some significant ways. For instance, Phoebe was a financial supporter of Paul's who sacrificed a lot for him and the work of the Lord. Priscilla and Aquila, it said, literally risked their lives for him. Mary worked very hard for fellow believers. Andronicus and Junia were in prison with Paul. Urbanus was Paul's co-worker. Apelles' faith was put to the test. Tryphena and Tryphosa worked hard in the Lord. Perses, another woman, also worked hard in the Lord. And just want to make sure we notice what gender is being identified as being those who work hard in the Lord. And it's not us fellas. And I know some ladies can get some amens out there if you like. Yeah. And then there was Rufus's mother, who was like a mother to Paul. Just a quick word on her. Many scholars believe that she was the wife of Simon of Cyrene, the man who helped carry Jesus' cross on the way to his crucifixion. And so when you have carried Jesus' cross, I think you can name your kid whatever you want, including Rufus, and no one's going to question it, and no one's going to mess with little Rufus, because you carry Jesus' cross. Hey to any Rufus out there, no offense, uh, anyways. But these people all inconvenienced themselves for Paul, and thus Paul was willing to uh, go out of his way to stay up to date with all of them so that he could pray for them, that he could be cheering them on and know what they were up to. So if the first barrier to belonging is inconvenience, then the first breakthrough, I believe, that can help us get through that barrier or wall is to go out of your way for others, to go out of your way. Don't merely just come to church or to a life community group when it's convenient for your schedule. Adjust your schedule as far as it's possible so that you can be there. Don't come to church just merely to get something out of it for yourself, but show up for others, not merely for yourself. Show up for others, not merely for yourself. Because I believe when the church gathers that God wants to make divine connections among us. And those connections cannot take place if we are not there. So go out of your way for others to invite them into your life, into your community to serve with you because the way to belonging begins by going out of your way. The second barrier to belonging, we could say, is detached faith. Detached faith. Another thing that's really striking about this chapter in Romans is what precedes it in the previous 15 chapters. Paul waxes eloquently about some of the most brilliant uh, theological ideas that we've ever seen. Things like general revelation, original sin, justification, sanctification, election, spiritual transformation, and pneumatology. I'm just trying to sound smart there for a moment. Yet he doesn't allow his letter to remain merely in the clouds of theology. He lands his letter on the runway of real life with real people. What does this trajectory of the letter teach us then? That the outcome of genuine Christian belief is a faith that expresses itself in loving relationships. 
Paul is no mere ivory tower thinker who is detached from society. Paul is a people person. He's a person with deep affection for named people. He doesn't just love humanity in general, which is such a temptation we can fall prey to. He loves specific people that were probably difficult to love at times. Remember, the church is made up of sinners. Here's a few of them. He loved Philogolus, who probably corrected people all the time at mispronouncing his name. He cared about Ampliatus and Urbanus and Phlegon. Phlegon just sounds like he could probably get under your nerves or under your skin a little bit. He even had affection for the family of narcissists who were prone to the temptation of thinking way too much about themselves. So Paul didn't live out his faith just by praying and meditating on scripture and studying theology. He grew as a person whose love for people grew. It's likely that someone that had such an aptitude for brilliant and focused thinking like Paul did might have been an introvert. Yet Paul doesn't allow, allow his personality bent to get in the way of him stepping outside of his comfort zone to grow in his love for others. So in the same way, even if you might describe yourself as an introvert, it gives us no excuse for sitting on the sidelines to wait for some extrovert to step in and love others. We are all called to do that. So if a faith that is too spiritual or too detached from the needs of real people is a barrier to belonging, then the needed breakthrough is for believers to grow in their passion for people. Become people people, church. Become the kind of person who not only genuinely cares for others, but learns to really like people. See, the depth of our faith is not determined by how much we know, but by how well we love. So if you've never done this before or haven't done it in a while, I want to invite us to take a moment to, to just pray and to ask God that he might increase our love for people. And then believe that over the next week, God is going to give us opportunities to start to love people more and to have our love for others increase. Let's take a moment just to pause and pray right now. Father, you have called us not only to love you with all that we are, but to love people in the same sacrificially loving way that you have loved us. So we ask now, God, grow our passion for people, the people you have created, the people you love, and that you have given yourself for. Maybe in these next couple of days, God, show us some person who we might love in an over and above and beyond kind of way. Give us the awareness to recognize this person and give us the courage to break through our fears to approach them with love. Amen. Maybe as you prayed that prayer, somebody came to mind for you. Maybe write down that person's name. And I want to challenge you over the next 24 hours to make a point to reach out to them, to send them a note or whatever. So the second barrier to belonging was detached faith. The first was inconvenience. And the third here we're going to call disappointment. Disappointment. I think one of the main reasons that we resist reaching out to others or sharing openly about what's really going on in our lives is because, is because we've been hurt by others in the church in some way. If I ask for a show of hands from who has been disappointed by somebody at church at some point in their life, I bet all of our hands would go up. But because of this, I think we can resist making ourselves more available because we fear being 
rejected. So we withdraw from others and we tend to isolate instead of engaging with other people. And the result of this is a culture that increasingly is becoming more and more lonely. Now, being disappointed by others is not something that Christians are immune to. It's not a matter of if we will be disappointed by others, but when. Think about Jesus and his life, for instance. The people that were his family constantly thought some of the worst things about him. His closest followers deserted him. The person he perhaps invested more of his life and energy into than anyone else, Peter, denied that he even knew Jesus. Yet Jesus never gave up on Peter or others. The same thing is true of Paul. Paul experienced quite a bit of disappointment as well. In 2 Timothy, kind of the last letter that Paul wrote, he says this to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. He would have been in a Roman prison at this point. For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and gone on to Thessalonica. When Paul needed someone most, that person wasn't there for him. And yet Paul, he doesn't give up on others. So how might we break through this barrier to belonging? I would say by committing to this, to not giving up on others, even when you feel let down. Don't give up on others, even when you feel let down. Perhaps an important practice you might want to try is to make a list like Paul's list here in Romans 16 of all the people that have impacted your life and the faith in some way. Who's been like a mother to you? Who has been someone that you've shared joys and struggles and laughter with? Who's someone who has helped lift you up or build you up or speak words of life to you? Who are some of these people in this community here at Grace? I bet if you take time to write some of these names down, you might realize that you belong more than you thought. And who are then people that you have been that person to? Maybe you need to reach back out to some of those folks as well. Now, maybe there's someone on that list that you need to share a present struggle that you're going through with. See, I think if those people knew what you were going through, they would drop everything to want to be there with you right now. But I think because we don't want to bother folks or be an inconvenience or to burden someone, we resist sharing what's really going on with our lives. But when you share your struggles with someone, you don't burden them. You honor them. When you share your struggles with someone else, you don't burden them, you honor them because it shows that you trust them, you respect them, you value them. And this is the kind of thing that builds belonging. So who might be someone here at Grace that you need to bring up to speed about what you've, what's really been going on in your life recently? So don't give up on others even when you feel let down. That's the third barrier to belonging, which is disappointment. And now the fourth one is indifference, indifference. Because it's so easy to get swept up in our own world with our own problems and our own demands, we are prone to miss the needs of others around us. Or we can just have a tendency to find friends who are just kind of like us because it's a little bit easier that way. Maybe not just like us ethnically, but perhaps stylistically or generationally or economically. Sometimes it's Finding people and friends that are like us is better for the image we want to have. Yet what we discover from this parade of names that Paul mentions is the church was as diverse as you can imagine. 
In this list, we meet people who are both Jewish and Gentile, ethnically diverse. We meet people who are young and old, generationally diverse. We meet people who are both men and women. There is a gender diversity here. We meet people who are both slave and free. We meet people who are both single and married. What I think is especially striking about this list is how many women's names are mentioned compared to the typical literature of the day. These women would have been some of the most prominent leaders in the early church. Phoebe, whose name we mentioned earlier, was not only a strong benefactor of the church, but she was entrusted by Paul to actually take this letter to the Roman community. And since she would have been the carrier of this letter, she most likely would have been the person who read this letter aloud for the very first time. Typically, when I imagine these letters being heard, I hear them with like a deep James Earl Jones kind of resounding, booming voice. And yet, it probably would have been Phoebe's voice, a woman's voice, who first said these words of scripture to its earliest recipients. Another person we see is Priscilla. And from other portions of scripture, we know that she was a profound thinker and a strong teacher who, along with her husband Aquila, led the house church there. Paul calls them both his co-workers. And then there's Junia, along with her husband Andronicus, is said to be held in high esteem among the apostles. That could convey that she was an apostle like Paul or perhaps an important missionary leader in a position like that. Either way, she and her husband are highly valued by Paul as servant leaders in the church. Thus, from this list of names, we can contend that Paul was unwaveringly committed to ministering alongside people who were much different from him. So one of the ways that we can rebel against our own indifference that we all have is to lift up others who are different from us, serve alongside others who are different than us. Thus, if the barrier to belonging is indifference, then a breakthrough to belonging is to serve together in Christ serve together and to co-labor together in Christ. See, close relationships don't just emerge out of thin air. They are formed around common passions. Given that, the way to become a community where we can both experience belonging and extend it to those who are different from us is to rally around the common cause that God has given us here for the mission of our church, which is to help people discover life with God for the very good of the world. There is nothing that we could give ourselves that would be more important than that. So join a team, champion a cause if you're not already, and pretty soon you're going to find yourself inseparably connected to people who are different from you generationally, ethnically, demographically, uh, politically, whatever. And not only will you experience greater belonging, but you will be extending that belonging to others as well. So finally, the last barrier to belonging that we'll look at here this morning is depersonalization. Depersonalization. Probably the most compelling talk that I've heard over the last couple of years was by author and thinker Andy Crouch entitled, Our Greatest Affliction. He contends that the major revolutions that we've experienced over the last hundred, several hundred years have left us wealthier than ever as a human society, but they've also left us lonelier than ever. For instance, before the banking revolution, exchanges were made with people who you were embedded in relationship with, not merely through money. 
Before the Industrial Revolution, people would work side by side one another instead of beside machines. Before the computational revolution, knowledge was viewed as wisdom to be passed on from person to person, from generation to generation, and now knowledge is seen as information that you can just ask Google for. Now, while all these revolutions have undoubtedly made life easier to an extent, they have also had the unintended consequence of making life far less personal. We can now acquire virtually anything without having a human interaction attached to it, let alone knowing the name of the person that we are engaged with. The less personal life has gotten, the more lonely people have become. This is depersonalization, and it's what Crouch describes as our society's greatest affliction today. But we're not the only society in history to suffer the detrimental effects of depersonalization. In ancient Rome, 2,000 years ago, coins were being made with Caesar's imprint on them to be used for the exchange of goods and services. Technological developments were booming, making transportation faster and life richer. But these developments also marginalized a great portion of society, leaving a great majority of people being seen as less than human. Some of the names that were given to people at this time are a case in point. A name that we find in the Bible is the name Onesimus. It simply means useful. Useful. This is a useful human being, not a complete human being. Slaveholders often had children with their slaves and gave them very devaluing names that would simply connote their birth order. Names like first or second or seventh. Imagine that being your name. And here in Paul's letter to the Romans, we meet two of these people who were given highly impersonal, disregarded names. Tertius, meaning the third, and Cortus, meaning fourth. I find verse 22 to be one of the most beautiful expressions of the power of the gospel to build belonging in a world that is depersonalized. Paul has Tertius say this, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Now try to imagine this just for a moment. You are Tertius. You haven't been given a thoughtful name like David, which means beloved by God. Or you don't have a family name like Ripper, which means clan of the ridiculously good looking. (laughs) That's at least what I tell my kids. Your name is merely third. Third. You've been a slave and you were trained to perform the task of a secretary. You've probably written down thousands of words that no one ever knew you penned. And perhaps you assume the same thing was going to happen in this exchange with Paul as he shared these words with you. That's what just would have been expected. Yet before Paul finishes and wraps up this letter, he stops what he's doing. He looks right at you and says, Now, Tertius, you tell them that you wrote this letter. Could you imagine how it must have felt for him 
to be seen and recognized and valued by the Apostle Paul of all people. You're not merely a completer of tasks for someone. You are someone. And Tertius' name has now been forever attached to what is perhaps the single most influential letter that has ever been written in human history. And the very act, I believe, of valuing and recognizing persons This is what the early church was famous for. Is it any wonder then that people flocked to the church in droves and that the church spread like wildfire in those days? This was the revolutionary act of the church then. And my brothers and sisters, it can be the revolutionary act of the church again today. It starts by recognizing people, learning their names, and valuing every single person that you encounter as an image bearer of God, someone who has been endowed with infinite dignity and worth, people who find their identity in Christ. That is who every person is. Every person is someone that Christ gave his life for, and every person is someone he wants us to be able to experience belonging with and to extend belonging to. So may we strive to value others in the same manner that Christ has so deeply valued us. And may we break, and may we help belonging break forth into our lonely world like never before in Jesus' name. That's what true belonging is all about. And I hope we can be about that work. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. So as we wrap up this message and this series, I would just like for us to try and name what might be that barrier in your life that is keeping you from either experiencing belonging or extending it to others. Maybe it's inconvenience or indifference or disappointment. Or maybe you've fallen prey like I have so oftentimes to treating people impersonally. Confess that barrier right now to the Lord. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's just merely our fear. And now ask God to help you see what the breakthrough is for you to help extend belonging to others more fully. Maybe you need to go out of your way more often. Maybe you need to ask God to continually help you love people more Maybe you need to continue pressing on even though you've been let down so many times. Or maybe you need to jump in and serve and co-labor with others in this all-important cause. Ask God for whatever breakthrough you need right now. So, Father, we thank you that through Jesus, we find our truest and best identity in you. We are your sons and daughters, people seen, people valued, and people loved by you. So may your spirit help each and every one of us be empowered to take a next step so that we might be those who can better extend and experience true belonging here at Grace and to our world who is in such desperate need for us. We pray for your power. And we pray that your glory would be seen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.